Welcome back. Um, today we're doing BTK. Dennis Lynn Raider. You know, that's probably why he became a serial killer, because his mom named him Lynn. Maybe. That explains why he was one of the biggest pieces of shit that didn't identify as shit. Like the perfect predator. Never would have been suspected if he wouldn't have been such a dumbass, never would have been caught. <laughs> I mean, he... <laughs> he gets caught in the dumbest be, way. To be quite honest, he did everything he was supposed to do that was opposite of who he really was. <laughs> like, held a job, had a family, was a good dad, was a good husband. Was, was a was, prominent member in his church. And a Boy Scout leader. I mean, this this motherfucker had it down. Like, he's like, hey, you know what? If I seem normal, I can do more weird shit. And he did people. for years. Yes, and also he's kind of unique because he's just able to stop and start. And, and he has none of the flags for a serial killer. Well, I did read something where he did um, strangle small animals. Okay, well, he's got one. Yeah, but for the most part, relatively normal life. Absent of uh, head injuries. Uh, there's other things. No mommy too. issues. I mean... I don't know. It's kind of an enigma in a lot of ways and kind of one of a kind in, in a lot of ways. I don't want to glorify what he did. That's why he had the police... Because I think he's a piece of shit. Yeah, that's why he had the police stumped for so long because he would take long breaks in between. But he had him stumped and then, for some reason, just he made thought, hey, a... hey, this floppy disk is a good idea. Made a crucial mistake. A floppy disk. Who was even using floppy disks in 2005? Someone who was floppy, apparently. And this guy was obviously floppy. Well, let's get to this piece of shit. Dennis Lynn Rader was born March 9th, 1945. Uh, he gave himself his nickname. Well, there's other nicknames he struggled with. Yeah, we might get to those. But the one that stuck was the BTK, which stood for Bind, Torture, Kill. Right. Uh, between 1974 and 1991, Rader killed 10 people in Wichita and Park City, Kansas. He sent taunting letters to the police and newspaper describing the details of his crimes. After a decade-long hiatus, he resumed sending letters in 2004, which led to his arrest in 2005. You know, that was kind of a calling card for him, because really that's kind of rare for serial, serial killers to, to have that taunting relationship with the police like no, it's that. Not. No, it is actually. That that's not a I mean it, you hear about the ones because it is so rare. I know Ripper did it, uh Son of Sam. Zodiac. Zodiac. I'm you know, but really it's a rare thing if you think about you know, the, I mean Kemper didn't do it. Gacy didn't do it. No, Bobby but Kemper was all but in the cop's lap saying, Hey, I did it. I know, but I think that was a calling card for him. It was part of the process for him. Well, I don't understand how he ain't been killed like uh Dahmer was. Of course, he's he ain't like, eating people. Maybe that's he's why. Like, he's like greased up deaf guy from Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> but they did because of a floppy disk. Yeah. Um, and once he was arrested, he just went ahead and put in the guilty plea. Why not? Yeah, I mean, you're going to let somebody... He got pissed off when uh, they, they got somebody else for one of his crimes, and he wrote and said, they didn't do it. I did it. Right, right. And here's the details. Um, he's serving 10 consecutive life sentences at El Dorado Correctional Facility in Prospect Township, Buck County, Kansas. So, he was married. He married in 1971 
and got divorced in 2005. Of course, right after he got caught, yeah. Yeah. And he, he had was, two kids. Dennis was normal, but... Can you imagine, just for a minute, you know, being that kid? Being one of those two kids. Finding out your dad. There's letters from the daughter, like, that he wrote her, that she released. Oh, yeah. But just think how... Just think, because she said he was, like, a wonderful dad. Like, she would have never, for a second, thought that this was going on. So he was a good actor. He'd had to be. Or he had multiple personalities. I don't know. And there's multiple pictures out there, too, of him. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. He was born on March 9th, 1945. He was the oldest of um, four, and it was in Pittsburgh, Kansas. He grew up fairly humble in Wichita, and that's where he later became, you know, the serial killer he was. Um, as a teen, he had violent, he had violent streaks. Uh, he would hang and torture stray animals, um, and he, this is what he told them. When he was in grade school, he had sort of uh, problems. He had some problems, is how he always said. Um, sexual fantasies, probably yeah. more than normal. Um, all males probably go through some kind of uh, sexual fantasy. Mine was just probably a bit weirder than other people. That's, quote him. Um, he also went on to describe how he would bind his hands and ankles with rope. Um, he would cover his head with a bag, uh, actions which he would later employ on his victims. Um, he even cut out photos of women from magazines from which he found that aroused him. He drew ropes and gags on them and imagined how he could restrain and control them. Const- uh, restrain and control them. Um, he continued to maintain an, ordin- uh, an ordinary outward appearance. He attended college for a time before he dropped out and joined the U.S. Air Force. Um, when he returned home from duty, he took up work as an electrician in Wichita. He met his wife, Paula Dietz, through church. She probably wasn't into all the bondage. Uh, she was a bookkeeper. Um, and... After a while, he he proposed to her. Um, while his wife Paula was sleeping, Dennis broke into the home of the Otero family and murdered every person inside the house. The children, 11-year-old Josie, 9-year-old Joseph, were forced to watch while he strangled their parents to death. He seems like a nice guy. Well, you got way far ahead of me. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just reading. <laughs> Um, he did have some mommy issues. It said uh, his parents both worked long hours and paid little attention to their kids. Um, he said that he felt extremely ignored by his mother in particular and uh, developed resentments to her because of that. Um, you said that from a young age he harbored uh, sadistic sexual fantasies. Um, about torturing trapped and helpless women, didn't you? Mm-hmm. What What is this? He also exhibited zoosadism. Oh, pseudo sadism. So, or solo sadism. No, so. no, no. It's zoo. Z o o. Is it for animals? Is it by torturing, killing, and hanging small animals? I I've never heard that one before. Um, he said it said he uh, would act out sexual fetishes for voyeurism. Audio, auto erotica asphyxiation and cross dressing. It says he often spied on female neighbors while dressed in women's clothing, including women's underwear that he had stolen. 
and masturbated with ropes or other bindings around his arms and neck. Um, it says during his cooling off periods between his murders, he took pictures of himself wearing women's clothes and a female mask while bound. He later admitted that he was pretending to be his victims as part of a sexual fantasy. It says he kept his sexual proclivities, proclivities. Uh, well hidden, however, and was widely regarded in his community as normal, polite, and well-mannered. Now, the pictures we were talking about, there's like a ton oh, yeah. of pictures out there yeah. of him acting these out. In My question. Of, like in front of people in the community, he had a, he had a lid on him. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was like, taking these pictures outside places. Right. And I know that for him, control was a big thing, even in his jobs. You know, like, he was noted to be a little bit temperamental, I guess, and a lot, a big control freak. Like, giving people, uh, I think he, he did like, um, oh, fuck, what is it? He was a... Worked for the dog pound or whatever for the city for you know. Well, let's see here. He worked as an uh, he worked in a meat department of an IGA supermarket where his mother was a bookkeeper. Uh, he attended two different colleges. The first one he dropped out because he didn't do very good. The second one he attended the Butler County Community College, earned an associate's degree in electronics, like you said. He then enrolled in Wichita State University and graduated in 79 with a bachelor's degree in administrative justice. Um, he worked as an assembler for the Coleman Company, an outdoor supply company. And he worked um, when he was like very active. He worked at a Wichita-based office of the ADT Security Services from 74 to 88, where he installed security alarms as part of his jobs, in many cases for homeowners, concerned about the BTK killings. And I think that was part of the thing for him, too. He was also a census field operator, uh, supervisor for the Wichita area in 89, before the 1990 federal census. And here it is. In 91, he became a dog catcher and compliance officer in Park City. And said in this position, neighbors recalled him as being sometimes overzealous and extremely strict. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, he was very much in control, had to be in control by the books, follow the rules. If not, you were getting a fine or a citation or something. Well, and it says that he also had, uh, he took special pleasure in bullying and harassing single women. One neighbor complained that Raider killed her dog for no reason. He was also a member of the Christ Lutheran Church and had been elected president of the church council. And here it is. He was also a Cub Scout leader on uh, July 26, 2005. After his arrest, his wife was granted an emergency divorce. They waived <laughs> the normal waiting period. They're like, if anybody deserves a, a divorce, this bitch does. Um... And you talked about the first set of murders, right? No, um, I, just, I had just gotten into them. So, the Oteros uh, was his first murder. And I guess he had snuck out while his wife was, was sleeping. Like, he must have been a very... I thought very, he told her he was going on, like, um, conferences and shit. Is that not right? No, well, it says here... It says here that when his wife fell asleep, 
he snuck out and went and, and broke into the home of the Otero family. And that was on January 15th of 1974. Uh, there were four members of the, what's the last name? Otero. Otero family. Um, they were murdered in Wichita, Kansas. The victims were Joseph Otero, who was 38, Julie Otero, who was 33, Joseph Jr., which was 9, and Josephine, which was 11. Not to be speaking ill of the dead, but Jesus H. Christ, they found a letter they liked and they stuck with it. Uh, Their bodies were discovered by the family's three older children who had been at school at the time of the killings. After his 2005 arrest, Raider confessed to killing the family. Like, he wasn't even on the radar for this family. No, and so I guess what he did was he he broke into the home of the Otero family, and this was why his wife Paula was sleeping. He murdered every person inside the house. Uh, the children, 11-year-old Josie and 9-year-old Joseph, were forced to watch as he strangled their parents to death. Josie cried out, Mommy, I love you, while she watched Raider strangle her mother to death. The, then, uh, then the little girl was dragged down into the basement where Raider pulled off her underwear and hung her from a sewer pipe. And I guess masturbated to it. Didn't he also... Well, when he, he felt like she had passed, he brought her back. He... he yeah, he got her right to the point of dying, and then he would let the rope go. Right. So she would gain consciousness again, and he did that a couple of times. He did that a couple of times, yeah. Um, her last words uh, were to ask what would become of her. Her killer, stoic and calm, told her, Well, honey, you're going to be in heaven tonight with the rest of your family. Um, he watched the girl choke to death, masturbating while she died. He took pictures of the dead bodies gathered up some of the little girl's underwear as a memento of his first massacre. Then Dennis Rader went home to his wife. He got ready to go to church. Um, and as he was because he was the church council president. Wow, you, you, that's, that's ballsy. So, Doing that and then walking into church. So he went in first and I guess he, he subdued the husband because he always said, you know, you, you take, you out, take the, out the, the strongest member right. first. Um, and then he bound the wife she wasn't dead yet I think he went back and killed the husband when the kids came home and then killed the son killed he left the little girl hanging in the basement when he went up and killed the mom and then went back down you know she was close to death and he released her and then that's when he took his time to masturbate and stuff they didn't even know they just knew it was seminal fluid Um, there was no way to test it at that time at that time yeah and he never they collected it though Oh, yeah, they collected it. He never actually sexually assaulted anybody. No. It was always masturbation. Right. Um, between the spring of 1974 and the winter of 1977, Raider killed three more women. Catherine Bright, April 4th, 1974. Shirley Vaughn Relford, whatever. Relford Ford. In March 17th of 1977, and Nancy Fox, December 8th of 1977. Um, in early 1978, he sent another letter to television station uh, KAKE in Wichita claiming responsibility for the murders of the Oteros uh, and the other four. Three. The other three. He suggested many possible names for himself, including the one that stuck, BTK. He demanded media attention in the second letter, and it was finally announced that Wichita did indeed have themselves a serial killer. 
So he wanted the notoriety. He wanted the notoriety too. Yeah. And the thing was, you know, at this point he hasn't really he hadn't really developed his system, I guess, because I mean, even for the first murder, that was his first massacre. Actually, that was pretty organized. Oh yeah. Like. You could definitely tell, if you didn't know, you would have thought he'd done this before, which I think he had. He probably has, and he called them his projects. Like, projects, he would, right. he would, um... And there was phases to it. Yeah, he would stalk the people. For up to a year. Um, to get the, the, the timing down of who was going to be where and at what time and everything, and then he would... Because there was times that he would invest that time. Yeah. And then things didn't go as... And he would lose his shit. If yeah. it didn't go according to plan. Um, so much so that he would always, in the back of his mind... Think about going back and yeah, finishing. Yeah, because that, that was a project that was unfinished. Right. Couldn't, that couldn't happen. Um, he actually enclosed a poem called uh, Oh Death to Nancy. It was a parody of the lyrics to the American folk song Oh Death. And the letter he claimed to be driven to kill by Factor X which he characterized as a supernatural element that also motivated the Ripper, Son of Sam, and the Hillside Strangler murders. And probably Ted Bundy, because didn't Ted Bundy talk about uh, this dark entity inside of him? I think they all do. And I, th- I don't know if I believe that. It could just be, you know, an excuse or them well, trying Well, but uh, here's the thing, though. He says he was, you know, as a kid, he, you know, he was, his, him and his brothers and everything were ignored. Well, everybody else turned out okay. Why the fuck did you turn out Exactly. All? I mean, that you had to be born with something wrong with you. Obviously, you have no empathy. You watched a nine-year-old girl fucking choke to death while you masturbated. Right. And, and brought her back. And she was the, the target of that one, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and that's the thing, too. If you're the target, you're definitely going to die. If you're a family member... You're well, you're going to die. You're going to die sooner, probably. Right. But he's going to have the most fun with his target. Yeah. Yeah, and she was the intended target. Which is gross. Um, he also intended to kill others, um, one being Ann Williams, who in 1979, age 63, escaped death by returning home later than was expected. So thank God for that. Whew. Holy shit, that bitch is late. He explained during his confession that he became obsessed with Williams and was absolutely livid. When she evaded him, he spent hours waiting at her home, but became impatient and left when she did not return home from visiting friends. Um, another one, uh, Marie. Yeah, the, another one that was uh, Marine Hedge. Is that right? She was aged 53. She was found May 5th, 1985 at East 53rd Street North between North Webb Road and North Greenwich Road in Wichita. But that wasn't his second murder. No. Uh, Raider stalked and waited in the apartment of a young college student named Catherine Bright. Um, he stabbed and strangled her. Um, he shot her brother twice. Uh, his name was Kevin. Kevin survived and later described Raiders having psychotic eyes. And, of course, if you look at his pictures, he does have eyes. Um, to me, psychotic, yes, but almost like there's no feeling. There's nothing there. Yeah. There's, I mean, it, it, just that look that just looks past you or through you or yeah, there's, you. there's, uh, Yeah, there's nothing going on in there is what it looks like. Paula was uh, three months pregnant with Raiders' first child when 
Unknown to her, her husband began to advertise his crimes covertly. So I think this is when he probably started sending his stuff to the... His the notes news. and stuff. It wasn't just letters. It was like packets and all kinds of crap that he would send. Um, here's a picture of me. After describing how he killed the Oteros in a letter he stashed inside of an engineering book at the Wichita Public Library. Oh, he's a fan of... What do you call him? Hunts. Just, Treasure hunts. Yeah, he's just... Here's a map. Figure it out. Scavenger hunts. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Um... Raider called a local paper, the Wichita Eagle, and let them know where they could, could find the letter. He added that he intended to kill again, and then named himself BTK, after his preferred method of buying, torture, kill. Yeah, and all the other names Bacon, were like really tomato, stupid. kale. Could be a sandwich. Could be. Actually, it could be, because kale is uh, leafy green. Right. Um, Dennis Rader allegedly took some time off um, after Paula Dietz told him that she was pregnant. I was so excited for us and our folks that we're now a family. With uh, I got busy with the job and the baby. I just thought I would dress right. and you know tie myself up and you know strangle myself because. Well, he said that the big gap in between was because he was raising his kids. Well. This only lasted a few years. Though, um, and the BTK uh, killer struck again in 77. But shortly before her husband raped, choked, uh, and choked his seventh victim, Shirley Vion, um, her six-year-old... Okay, that's disturbing. Her six-year-old son watched as he, uh, I guess, choked her, his mom to death in front of him. Um, he watched the keyhole of his door. So I guess Paula had found an early draft of a poem entitled, entitled Shirley's Locks in which her husband writes, Thou shall not scream, but lay on the cushion and think of me in death. Shakespeare, wow. he is not. No, um, not good with the words or photography. Um, she didn't ever say anything or ask any questions about it. Um, she didn't, really? Yeah, she, she just let it go? Yeah, she's... She didn't say anything when her husband's marked-up newspaper stories on the serial killer with what uh, with what he called his own secret code. She didn't say anything about it. Hey, what? So he kept a, basically he kept a scrapbook with what's notes. Up, what's, up, what's, what's, what's up with the newspaper and the symbols and this the BTK? Is like, this is like the last bitch that we did with the guy in the, the garage. Why can't I come into the garage? Exactly. Uh, when she noticed the taunting letters the beat that uh, the BTK killer sent to the police um, were full of the same horrendous misspellings, so that's something else about him. He's not a good speller. Well, he who is? Just, yeah, I mean he's just not a good speller. As um, had horrendous misspellings like the letters that she got from her husband, she didn't say anything more than a gentle ribbing. You spell just like BTK, honey. How stupid! I am sorry. I'm sorry, but how stupid is this woman? If BTK is spelling shit just like her husband is. How is it not clicking? I mean, like, we have to have a conversation here. Well, nor did she ever ask him about the mysterious sealed box he kept in their home. She never even once tried to look inside of it. She didn't want to know. I think that's what it was. She didn't want to know. If she would have looked, though, she would have found his chest of horrors. Um... Raider referred to this as his mother load. It contained mementos from the BTK killing scenes, 
dead women's underwear, driver's licenses, pictures of him dressed up as his victims, um, wearing his victim's stuff, uh, choking himself and burying himself alive, reenacting the ways that he had killed them. That's my question. How are you going to tie yourself up and then bury yourself? I don't know. You put thought into it. Part of my M.O. was to find and keep the victim's underwear. Um, that's what Raider told them. Then, in my fantasies, I would re- uh, relive the day and start a new fantasy. Nonetheless, his wife would later insist to the police that Dennis Raider was a good man, a great father. He would never hurt anybody. Okay, so she has mental issues. His third victim. Um, his third victim, hang on a second here, let me see. You did Bright? Mm-hmm. Uh, Relford? No. Did you do Nancy Fox? No. Okay, well then, that's two that was in between the one I just mentioned. So go ahead and... Go ahead and... Yeah, because it, it did say that he had he had a couple more victims in between or something like that. So. Well, yeah, the, the next one that I have right here is from 85. Okay. Because he did have that long streak where he stopped. Yeah, because in 79, she didn't show up. And this one was found... Um, in the road, she, Raider had killed her on April 27th and took her dead body to his church. Jesus Christ, the balls on this guy. The Christ Lutheran Church, where he was the president of the church council. There, he photographed her body in various bondage positions. He had previously stored black plastic sheets and other materials at the church in preparation for the murder, and then later dumped the body in a remote ditch. He had called his plan... Project Cookie. Oh, so he's going with like a military theme. My thing is, though, is the church. How messed up is it that he took her to the church and did that? Um, in 88, after the murders of three members of the Fager family in Wichita, a letter was received from someone claiming to be the BTK killer in which the author of this letter denied being the perpetrator of the Fagger murders. The author credited the killer with having done admirable work. It was not proven until 2005 that this letter was, in fact, written by Raider. He is not considered by police to have committed this crime. Additionally, two of the women he had stalked in the 1980s and one he had stalked in the mid-90s filed restraining orders against him one also moved away that's good that's a that's a good plan that's oh yeah solid. that's solid plan. just get out um his final victim dolores e davis was found on february 1st 91 at west 117th street north and north uh Metterin street in park city um he killed her on january 19th so it took that long for her body to be found so he killed her on January 19th, and she wasn't found until February 1st. Stinky. Probably. So not even Dennis Rader's own children suspected him. Uh, their father was, at his worst, a very strict moral Christian. <laughs> uh, his daughter Carrie would recall once her father did angrily grab her brother by the neck, and she and her mother had to pull him off to save, the, uh, save her brother's life. Carrie stated, I can still picture it clearly. I can see the intense anger in my dad's face and eyes. <coughs> but this 
instance appeared isolated. There was no other instances of this. When she learned of the BTK killer, it was her own father, ironically, who soothed her late night worries. Don't worry. Okay, well, if his daddy BTK, I mean, if she's scared about the BTK killer and the BTK killer is telling her, "Hey, you're safe." Yeah, I mean, he was fairly honest with, uh, you know, like he did tell them they were going to die. I know that one. He just said he, "Hey, I got some sexual problems. It was just I just need to tie you up and take some pictures." But then, surprise, bitch. I'm gonna kill you. All right. By um, 2004, the investigation of the BTK killer was considered a cold case because they had no idea. You know, they, they didn't know. Then um, Raider initiated a series of 11 communications to the media. So your last murder is in 91. And in 2004, you get froggy and you're like, hey, I think I'm going to start talking to the cops again. We'll get this. Carrie, his daughter, recalled her father waved every morning to 53-year-old Maureen Hedges. Um, Mary, is it, I think it's Maureen. Marion, maybe? Maybe. Uh, while on his way to church, um, when she became the BTK's eighth victim, tied up and choked to death. It was Dennis Rader himself who had been the one to comfort and reassure his family. Don't worry, he told them. We're safe. How messed up is that that you wave at this bitch every morning? I'm gonna kill you soon. I, it's just so creepy. You're at, the, you're at the same place I know you'll be at at this time. Bye. And what's really messed up is if he had just kept it in his pants and not started this communication with the cops again in 2004, they probably never would have caught him. Because in him doing that, that led directly to his arrest. In February of 2005. Uh, it, and this was in March 2004. Uh, the Wichita Eagle received a letter from someone using the return address Bill Thomas Kilman. BTK. The author of the letter claimed that he had murdered Vicky Regrol on September 16, 1986. It enclosed photographs of the crime scene and a photocopy of her driver's license which had been stolen at the time of the crime. Before this, it had not been definitively established that she was killed by BTK. DNA collected under her nails provided police uh, with previously unknown evidence. They then began DNA testing hundreds of men in an effort to find the serial killer. Altogether, over 1,300 DNA samples were taken and later destroyed by court order. In May 2004, a television station in Wichita received a letter with uh, chapter headings for the BTK story. Fake IDs and a word puzzle. Here's a question. If you can't spell, how are you going to make out a word puzzle? Well, you'll always win because nobody else knows how to spell that word but you. That's what I'm saying. So you're making a word puzzle and sending it to people, but you can't spell. I mean, I can't spell to save my life. So I'm not gonna be coming up with a word puzzle. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't get it. It's just, it's stupid. Uh, that's just, that's the dumbest thing. On June 9th, a package was found taped to a stop sign at the corner of First and Kansas Roads in Wichita. It had graphic descriptions of the Otero murders and a sketch labeled "The Sexual Thrill Is My Bill." 
Also enclosed was a chapter list for a proposed book titled The BTK Story, which mimicked a story written in 1999 by Court TV crime writer David Lore. Chapter 1 was titled A Serial Killer is Born. In July, a package dropped into the return slot at the public library contained more bizarre material, including the claim he was responsible for the death of 19-year-old Jake Allen uh, earlier that month. The claim was false, and the death was ruled a suicide. Yeah, he didn't care if it was a man or a woman, did he, that he killed? Um, After his capture, he admitted in his interrogation that he had been planning to kill again, and he had set a date for October of 2004 and was stalking his intended victim. In October 2004, a manila envelope was dropped into a US UPS box in Wichita. It had many cards with images of terror and bondage of children pasted on them. A poem threatening the life of lead investigator Lieutenant Ken Landwer and a false autobiography with many details about Raider's life. These details were later released to the public in December of 2004. Wichita police received yet another package from BTK. This time the package was found in Wichita's Murdoch Park. Okay, so is is he trying to get caught? Is he... I think because up until this point, with all the clues and the, the crap... Because this isn't the first time he sent packets and stupid-ass letters. Yeah, this is a lot, like, in secession. You're like, they're, like, getting bolus with... Well, because he hasn't been caught yet. So he's like, I can keep doing this, and they're never going to figure out what's going on. And he thinks he's making them run around like dogs chasing their tails. So he's controlling them is what so he he's, thinks. So what he thinks is he's smarter than they are, and he's controlling them. He's controlling the narrative, he thinks. We're at, whereas they're just, they just keep collecting evidence and his dumb ass don't even realize they're doing it. Uh, yeah, because I think at this time, too, they're even kind of putting out, because they know he's watching their press conferences. He knows that they're watching their well, yeah updates. And they're even, they even tried, like, subliminal messages for him to turn himself in. Yeah, that didn't work. That's... Um, but, th- but I know that they also dropped some other things, too, to kind of incite him. Yeah, to get him mad enough to mess up. And he... Well, he did, but not as soon as they were hoping. Um, the package that was found in the park had the driver's license of Nancy Fox, which was noted as stolen from that crime scene as well, as a doll that was system- systematically, symbolically, I can't read, symbolically bound at the hands and feet and had a plastic bag tied over its head. We've seen pictures of that. Yeah. Poor Barbie. She she got it. She had it coming, I guess. In January of 2005, um, he attempted to leave a cereal box in the bed of a pickup truck at the Home Depot in Wichita. But the box was discarded by the truck's owner. It was later retrieved from the trash after um, Raider asked what had become of it in a later message. And surveillance tape of the parking lot from that date revealed a distant figure driving a black Jeep Cherokee leaving the box in the pickup. So what they did was they tried to... They, they, they were hoping that the, the video would be good enough to where they could get a license plate or something, but the video back then was pretty bad. And it well, I mean, video even, now can still be bad. I mean, it was just very, very bad. So all they got really was... Was a, just the making... Just the, the car. The making the color. Yeah. Is it, is, is, all, is all they got. But it did turn out to be useful. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, it did. Um, um, well, and I'll say, you know, in 1991, Dennis Rader did fall into his domestic life, I guess. Where he was raising his kids. He was working for Wichita suburb of Park City as a compliance supervisor, although there were complaints against him. He was known to be a very gruff, exacting officer, unforgiving with clients. So an asshole. Pretty much. Um, that same year, though, he committed his tenth and final crime. It's where he used the center block to break through the sliding glass door of 62-year-old grandmother Dolores Davis. Oh, I remember seeing that um, one. Who lived just a few miles from uh, his own family. He yeah, he, her body she lived really bridge. close. Yeah. Well, the thing was, too, up until a couple murders into this, he was just leaving the victims at their home. Now he's taking them and dumping them places. Yeah, a couple of them he did dump. Um, which threw the cops for a minute because they were like, why would he change his M.O.? Why is he changing his M.O.? Um, in his last year as a free man, he came across a story in the local paper um, which marked the 30-year anniversary of the terror murders. He wanted to make sure the BT killer, a BTK killer uh, was known again in 2004. So that's why he started he writing stuff again. He nearly sent that, that, all those letters and packages to media. So, um, let's see. They caught his, the, the, the Jeep Cherokee leaving the box in the pickup. In February of 2005, more postcards were sent to the TV station. And another serial box left at a rural location was found to contain another bound Barbie doll. Apparently meant to symbolize the murder of 11-year-old Josephine Otero. Um, in his letters to police, he asked if his writing... In his writings... Wait... I'm getting tongue-tied. In his letters to police, he asked if his writings, if put on a floppy disk, could be traced or not. And of course... So, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. So, uh, have you guys heard of floppy disks? Well, he thought... Yeah, yeah, we, we've heard of... <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are uh, fairly new technology. They're really not. <laughs> uh, well, if I was to put some information on there, because, you know, I'm smarter than you, could it be traced to me? Why would he have believed the cops? Oh, no, no. There's no way. Who could do that? That's kind of like, that's like alien technology. Right. Who would they even don't... know how to do that? We're not smart like that. Right. And uh, the Okay, poli- then. Okay. <laughs> the police answered his question in a newspaper ad posted in the Wichita Eagle saying it would be safe to use the disc. You know, I think that's a good idea, um, yeah. Mr. BTK. Yeah, go ahead and use that disc. I think that we would learn from you. Um, all of your information. And he believed him. He really believed him. So on February 16th, 2005, he sent a purple 1.44 megabyte Memorex floppy disk to Fox TV. And inside... An affiliate of Fox TV in Wichita. And so inside that floppy disk... Now, granted, he went through the trouble of erasing it. and But it's still there. But a floppy disk kind of works like a hard drive in a way now you can erase the data temporarily but the imprint is still there so what they did forensically was go back and pull up what had already been on there so what they found was deleted microsoft word documents Um, it was doc it was a document for the christ lutheran church the author of this document was was the church council president dennis Raider. Well, it didn't have Raider on there. It just had like the... No, it, it said Dennis Raider. Did it? I thought yes. they had to go into... Author, 
Author Dennis Rader. Because I thought in the thing that we watched, they had to. Go... I know what you're saying. They went into it, and then they, what they did was they went online and to onto the church's to website. See if there was a Dennis Rader, and, and there he was. was the president of something. Correct. He was a yeah. Uh, also enclosed with the old floppy disk were a letter, a gold-colored necklace with a large medallion, and a photocopy of the cover of Rules of Prey, a 1989 novel about a serial killer. Priest of Death God, never gonna catch me. And, uh, just like you said, oh my God. Just like you um, were talking about the uh, floppy disk. Um, well, and I... So, the interesting thing was, although... Back when they were discovering his victims, you know, it wasn't like today where they can run the DNA, they can tell you everything about it, but they still had the forethought to go ahead and collect it because I think it was something they were working on. And so DNA samples were taken from one of his victims uh, under the fingernails. The police accessed his daughter's pap smears from the hospital. Yeah, they used her DNA. So they, they knew it was him. So they didn't... They just wanted that DNA tie. They knew it was him. They didn't automatically go and confront him or whatever. They didn't want to scare him off. They didn't want to... Oh, yeah. They wanted a solid case, like something that was watertight. So they went and got permission to get his daughter's pap smears. They took those samples and then were able to say within 99 point whatever percent, the father of his daughter is BTK because mm-hmm. it matches this DNA. Right. Interestingly enough, though, the detective that he taunted, I believe, was the one who got the information on the floppy disk and actually went to go find Dennis Rader, realized he had the same car. And at that point, he told everybody to pull back. Yeah, because it was the car. And what it was... He, the f- well, no. He told him to pull back because he wanted more evidence. Right, because of the car. That's why he said... This is the same car that was at the Home Depot. I don't want back to blow off. this opportunity. Right. And on the floppy disk, what they had found was a <laughs> metadata contained the words Christ Lutheran Church and it had last been modified by Dennis, which is what made them go onto the church's website and that's how they found him. And then they looked up his address, they went to go find him, they and found then the they car found and the they car. said, Hold on, wait a minute. Yeah, back off. Let's let's run the DNA since we have that technology. Right. Um, and they, they received the positive match. Um, the Raider was taken from his home in front of his family on February 25th, 2005. Um, he tried to keep a reassuring face. He gave his daughter a hug, promising her that it would all be cleared up soon. Um, in the police car, he didn't try to hide a thing. When they asked him if he knew why he's being arrested... He said, with a cold smirk, and replied, Oh, I have suspicions why. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more in detail, but he did confess to all ten murders. Um, seemingly to take a twisted joy in describing the brutal details, he never showed any emotion, not one fucking emotion. Oh, no, he was talking just like... Oh, I have some problems, some, you know... Yeah, he was just talking like he was having a conversation with somebody. It, it's just the the... The way that he describes, and it's on YouTube and a couple other. Uh, we actually have like uh, transcripts from that. Yeah, and we're gonna read those to you. But right. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it, he just. It's just deadpan. He's just like, "Yep, I just did it." Almost Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Oh yeah, Bueller. like the, the yeah the teacher from Ferris Bueller. He did not show one bit of emotion. 
Um, never said he was sorry. Never said he was sorry. Nothing like that. Just this is what it was about. Is so I could um, basically fulfill my sexual fantasies. Didn't feel problems. bad about it. Um, Dan, uh, Raider's wife left her half-eaten meal at the dinner table when her husband was arrested. She would never come back to finish it. When the horrible truth of what Dennis Raider had done came out, she refused to ever step foot back in the home again, and she divorced Raider. Um, the Raider family tried to stay quiet during the trial. There was no explanation as to his rampage besides Raider's explanation, which is, I actually think I may be possessed with demons. And I do remember during that um, documentary thing we watched when the next morning after his arrest, the uh, police chief, Norman Williams, during, just announced, he's like, bottom line is we got the BTK killer. He's arrested. And the entire room, like everybody stood up and screaming and laughing and clapping and right. just hooraying. And we're going to read more about these transcripts, but you know, you got to put your mindset of the, in the, into the, these people's mindset. This son of a bitch has been has been on a tear for seventeen years. Seventeen years. He kills when he wants, stops yep. when he wants. He's left multiple clues, um, sent clues. Um, he actually would have not been for his mistake would not have been caught. Um, this is a pretty scary situation. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're male, female. Doesn't matter if you're old, young. He didn't care. If you caught his attention. And you became the obsession, and he went through his stalking phase. Yeah. And completed that, you were as good as dead. And because of that, it says here on March 1st, um, Raider's bell was set for $10 million. Um, and a public defender was appointed to him. On May 3rd, the judge entered uh, not guilty pleas on his behalf because he didn't speak at all during the arraignment. He just sat there. Um, but on the tw- June 27th, the, the scheduled trial date, um, Raider changed his plea to guilty, and then he described the murders in detail. Well, that was part of made it. Made no apologies. Yeah, that was part of it. Um, for him to put in a thing of guilt, wasn't it so he didn't get the death penalty? I, I, I don't, I'm not sure. But um, I think, I think he, he had to describe each murder. Well, yeah, and then it says here at uh, his August 18th sentencing, victims' families made statements after which... He apologized in a rambling 30-minute monologue that the prosecutor uh, likened to an Academy Awards acceptance speech. His statement has been described as an example of an often-observed phenomenon among psychopaths. Their inability inability to understand the emotional context of language. And, you know, he didn't just hurt his victims and his victims' families. He hurt his own family. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't escape the kids that they shared the same blood as this man. Well, yeah. Um, nor that some part of them, him might live in with them. I mean, I, I could yeah, only that's imagine. That's going to be a fear. Right. Uh, nor did it escape them at, that if their father had stopped when he first killed, they would never have been born. Um, that really messes with your head, Perry said. This is almost a, almost a guilt for being alive they died and you got to live right and um he actually did not have to make the um detailed confessions as to the murders and things because at the time that he was arrested and tried kansas city didn't have a death penalty or kansas didn't have a death penalty 
Um, so he just went into, I, he may have just detailed it because he wanted to. And I, you know, he did write his daughter from jail and she released the letters, which you feel what you feel about that. I, I think that she doesn't owe him shit. Um, cause he's, I mean, he's a piece of shit. He didn't think about them. I think in some way he did care about them, but you know what I think? I think that, I think that he tried to see if he could be normal, but I think ultimately he couldn't, they were his cover. Yeah. Just like the church, just like the job, they were his cover. If you notice it in every situation in his normal, I'll say normal, but his, his, his public life, his everyday life, he was in a, was was in a position of power. Yeah. He had to be in control. Yeah. And so I feel like he didn't really care that he's lost his wife. I know he wrote his daughter. Maybe he did care about her in some sick way. But I think they were his cover. So, read the transcripts. Okay, hang on a second here. Um, he, uh, it says, Raider talked about topics such as uh, weather during the 40-minute, um, let me see, I lost it again. Okay. He talked about the weather during the 40-minute drive to the El Dorado Correctional Facility that he was in. But he actually began to cry when the victim's family's statements from the court proceedings came onto the radio. Um, He is, like now, in the prison. He's um, confined into solitary confinement for his safety. Um, Why? Right, I don't know. Can we just talk about that for a minute? Why? I don't know. I say let him out. Just like the fucker that got arrested for attacking the Capitol. He won't eat because it's got to be organic. Fuck him. Who cares? Don't let him eat then. Let him starve to death. Fuck him. He should get like the food that dropped off, dropped on the floor. Not even yeah. wipe it off. Just That's fucking what give I would it do. to him. I don't understand though. Solitary confinement for your own fucking safety. Fuck you. Well, think you, about it. You didn't too. think about anybody else. Right. And the solitary confinement is probably a punishment too because... You, you go crazy in there. No, he's not. He's thinking about everybody murdered. Well, and he probably off. is. He only gets an hour of exercise per day, and he's allowed three showers per week. No, oh, fuck him. And that is said it will likely continue indefinitely. Um, beginning in 2006, he was allowed access to television and radio to read magazines and other privileges for good behavior. Can I get some of those magazines that, um, well, they have the bondage in them? Call True Detective. If I can't, can I just get some pens and regular magazines? I'll make my own. <laughs> okay, the transcripts. Let me see if I can find them. I just think, I don't know, that if you do something wrong, like that wrong, I'm not talking about someone who makes a mistake. You shouldn't treat him like shit, but this guy, this is more than a mistake. This is murder and <clears throat> torture. It's in his name murder and torture and shit. Why the fuck do we care about your safety? We don't care about your safety. We want to see you tortured every day. Right. We want to bring you to the brink of death every day and then bring you back alive and watch it happen again. So, the murder of the uh, Otero family, the defendant, which is Raider, right? He said on um, January 15th of 1974, I malicely, intentionally, and premeditation killed Joseph Otero. And says count two after that. Okay, and then the court says, 
All right, Mr. Raider, I need to find out more information on that particular day, the 15th day of January, 1974. Can you tell me where you went to kill Mr. Joseph Otero? <clears throat> and he's like, um, I think it's 1834 Edgemore. Years later, he remembers the address. This is what he jerks off to. Yes, this is the incredible talent for such a sick fuck that he's got that type of memory. Like, he remembers... This is 2005. He even, if I'm not mistaken, remembers the layout of the homes. He remembers where they died. He remembers what they were wearing. I think he does, yeah. <clears throat> and the court's like, all right, can you tell me approximately what time of day you went there? And he says somewhere between 7 and 7.30. So this is in the morning. Uh -huh. <clears throat> um, the court, this particular location, did you know these people? He said, no, that's, and then it says there was an off-the-record discussion between him and his lawyer. Uh, no, that was part of my, I guess, what you call fantasy. These people were selected. And the court's like, all right, so you, again, off-the-record discussion. Um, the court, were you engaged in some kind of fantasy during this period of time? The Raider says, yes, sir. Uh, the judge is like, all right, now... Where you use the term fantasy, is this something you were doing for your personal pleasure? Raider says, sexual fantasy, sir. And the judge is like, I see. So you went to this this residence and what occurred then? Well, <clears throat> I had did some thinking on what I was going to do uh, to either Miss Oterio or Josephine. And basically broke into the house or didn't break into the house, but when they came out of the house, I came in and confronted the family, and then we went from there. And the court says, all right, had you planned this beforehand? He says, to some degree, yes. After I got in the house, it lost control of it, but it was, it was, you know, in the back of my mind, I had some ideas what, was go what I was going to do. And the, he's like, did you? But I just basically panicked that first day so and then the court beforehand did you know who was there in the house the defendant replied I thought Miss Otario and the two kids the two younger kids were in the house I didn't realize Mr. Otero was going to be there and the court all right how did you get into the house Mr. Raider I came through the back door cut the phone lines uh Waited at the back door, had reservations about even going or just walking away, but pretty soon the door opened and I was in. All right, so the door opened. Was it open for you or did someone, I think one of the kids, I think it was the junior, or not junior, yes, the younger girl, Joseph, opened the door. He probably let the dog out because the dog was in the house at the time. All right, when you went into the house, what happened then? <clears throat> well, I confronted the family, pulled the pistol, confronted Mr. Otario, and asked him to, you know, that I was there to basically, I was wanted, wanted to get the car, I was hungry, food, I was wanted, and asked him to lie down in the living room floor, and that time I realized that wouldn't be a really good idea, so I finally, the dog was the real problem, so I, I asked Mr. Otero if he could get the dog out. So he had one of the kids put it out, and then I took them back into the bedroom. 
Who took who back to the bedroom? The family, the bedroom, the four members. All right, what happened then? At the time, I tied him up. And they're like, while still holding them at gunpoint. Well, in between tying, I guess, you know. All right, after you tied them up, what occurred? Well, they started complaining about being tied up. And I re-loosened the bonds a couple of times. Tried to make Mr. Otero as comfortable as I could. Apparently, he had a cracked rib from a car accident. So, I had to put a uh, pillow down on his, for his head. And put him, and him I put a, I think a parka or coat underneath him. They, you know, they talked to me about, you know, giving the, giving the car whatever money. I guess they didn't have very much money. And the, from there I realized that, you know, I was already, I didn't have a mask on or anything. They already could ID me and made, made a decision to go ahead and put him down, I guess, or strangle them. <clears throat> put him down like you do dogs. Right. All right, what did you do to Joseph Otero Sr.? Joseph Otero? Yeah, Joseph Otero Sr., Mr. Otero, the father. Put a plastic bag over his head and then some cords and tightened it. This was in the bedroom. Yes, sir. <clears throat> All right, did he in fact suffocate and die as a result of this? Not right away. No, sir, he didn't. What happened? Well, after I... I did Mrs. Otero. I had never strangled anyone before, so I really didn't know how much pressure you had to put on a person or how, how long it would take. But was she also tied up there in the bedroom? <clears throat> yes, uh-huh. Yeah, both their hands and their feet were tied up. She was on the bed. Where were the children? Well, Josephine was on the bed and Junior was on the floor. All right. At this time. So, we're, we're talking, first of all, about Joseph Otero. So, you had <clears throat> put the bag over his head and tied it. Mm-hmm. He didn't even give that one a word. And he did not die right away. Can you tell me what happened in regards to Joseph Otero? He moved over real quick-like and I think tore a hole in the bag. And I could tell he was having some problems there. But at the time, the whole family just went... They were panicked on me, so I, I worked pretty quick. I got Mrs. O. All right, what did you... Mrs. What, o? <clears throat> yeah, because I think the, the judge interrupted him. Um, all right, what did you... You worked pretty quick. What did you do? Well, I mean, I, I, I strangled Mrs. Ontario, and then she out or passed out. I thought she was dead. She passed out. Then I strangled Josephine. She passed out. Or I thought she was dead. And then I went over and put a, and then put a bag on Junior's head. And then, if I remember right, Mrs. Otero came back. She came back and, sir, let me ask you about Joseph Otero Sr. And he replied, Sr., can, you indicated he had torn a hole in the bag. And his reply, mm-hmm. Did you do anything to him then? I put another bag over it, or either that, or uh, a, if I recollect, I think I put a, either a cloth or a t-shirt or something over it, over his head, and then a bag, another bag, and then tied that down. Did he subsequently die? Well, yes, I mean, I mean, I was, I didn't stay there and watch him. I mean, I was moving around the room, but, all right, so you indicated you strangled Miss Otero after you had done this. Is that a correct? Yeah, I went back and strangled her again. All right. 
and that and that finally killed her at that time so this is in regards to count two you had first of all put a bag over joseph otero's head i don't know i have no idea just what happened then I got the keys to the car. In fact, I had the keys, I think, either before that because I wanted to make sure I had a way of getting out of the house and cleaned the house up a little bit, made sure everything's packed up and <clears throat> left through the front door and then went there, went over to their car and then drove to Dylan's, left the car there and eventually walked back to my car. All right, now, sir, from what you have just said, I take it that the facts you have told me apply to both counts one and all if counts one, two, three, and four, is that correct? Yes, sir. Now, Mr. Raider, your honor, yes. Uh, Miss Parker, there is one thing that needs to be corrected on that record, and that is originally, I believe, he indicated 1834 Edgemore. The address was actually 803 Edgemore. Okay, well, so I guess he really didn't go into detail about... He did about the girl. No, that's... Because it goes from that, it goes from that one to Catherine Bright. Well, get this: uh, he was seen by the Massachusetts psychologist uh, Robert <coughs> Mendendoza. Uh, um, that was hired by Raider's court-appointed uh, attorney. So, here is what he diagnosed Raider as. Which, from all the research we did and, and hearing that, I can believe it. Um, narcissistic, antisocial, obsessive-compulsive personality disorders. Oh, yeah. He also observed that, Rand, uh, that Raider has a grandiose sense of self, a belief that he is special and therefore entitled to special treatment, a pathological need for attention and admiration, preoccupation with maintaining rigid order and structure, and a complete lack of empathy. That's just, uh, that. yeah. So I want to go back and just correct something before you go on to the next transcript. Um, the Oteros was his first. Yes. They were killed January 15, 1974. Uh, Catherine Doreen Bright um, was his second. She was killed April 4, 1974. Mm -hmm. um, Shirley Ruth <coughs> Vianne Relford was killed on March 17, 1977. So right there, there's a three-year. So that must have been when the first kid was born. Because... There's was, a hiatus. Yes. Then... Nancy Joe Fox was killed December 8, 1977. Then he doesn't kill again until 85. So probably... My guess is another kid in there. Another kid born, right? Uh, and he's trying. You know, he's trying. He's, he's you know, either he, he's really making an effort to not do this, and it's that compulsion inside of him that's telling him he has to do it, and suddenly the self-inflicted abuse memories of his past deaths and 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 whatever else he's doing to sustain himself is just not doing it um so then in 1985 april 27th he kills marine wallace hedges um that's the one he kept waving at 19 and that, i think he was on a boy scout trip or something like that and left them went and killed her and went and got back with his Boy Scout troop. Uh, it sounds about right. And I think also he would say he was on Boy Scout trips when he wasn't so he could do some of these. Vicki Lynn Wiggerly was killed in September 16th, 1986. And then Dolores Erlene Johnson Davis, January 19th, 1991. So there again is another couple gap. of years gap. 
And then before so, this is why it baffled him because when you have that streak of killings and it's the same person you think and then they stop automatically what do you think They've that they're caught. arrested or they're dead or they're dead or they moved you don't really yeah you don't really think of well they had a family and they took a break they took a break and then it, and then you're like oh shit they're back fuck and then they stop again and you're like what the fuck well yeah and after 91 he stopped and he was going to start back up and then in he 2004 decided, and then he decided well I'm going to poke the bear first I'm going to announce I'm coming back like I'm a rock star. I'm coming back, baby. And this is how I'm going to do it. And yeah. here's all the shit that you missed before. Yeah. And if he would, I swear to God, if he wouldn't have sent in that floppy disk, well, thank they God, probably would thank have. Thank God he did. Because really, aside from that, they had nothing. They had nothing. I mean, they and had... And this guy's not going to get in trouble and be in the, ba- in the database to get Perry's fucking DNA. So it really had to come from... Him. Jesus Christ. Go ahead and read the second transcript. I'm sorry. I was just, I was amazed when I was reading that. Uh, okay. Here's his, his stuff for the Catherine Bright. Uh, the court. All right, Mr. Raider, we will now turn to count five. In that count, it is claimed that on or about the fourth day of April 1974 in Sedwick County, Kansas, that you unlawfully killed Catherine Bright. Mal- malicely, willfully, deliberately, and with premeditation. By strangulation and stabbing, inflicting injuries from what she did die on April 4th, 1974. Can you tell me what happened on that day? Uh, the raider said, well, the I don't know how to exactly say that. I had many what I call them projects. There were different people in town that I followed, watched. Catherine Bright was one of the next targets, I guess, as I would indicate. How did you select her? Just driving by one day, I saw her go into the house with somebody else, and I thought, that's a possibility. There was many, many places in the area, College Hill even. They're all over Wichita. But anyway, that's, it just was basically a selection process. Work toward it. If it didn't work, I'd just move on to something else. But in the, in the my kind of person, stalking and strolling, you go through the trolling stage and then the stalking stage. She was in the stalking stage when it, this happened. According to my PowerPoint chart. Right? This is where she was at. So, I bet he did have fucking charts written down and shit. He probably did. I don't understand, like, why they're not making him read his fucking letters. Because he seems real brave when he's writing the fucking letters. But when he's got to say it, it's, mm, um, well, um, um, well. I mean, yeah, I know. You don't seem too fucking brave now. Well, of course he's not. Okay, the court, all right, sir. So you identified Catherine Bright as a potential victim. And he replies, yes, sir. What did you do here in Sedgwick County then? Pardon? What did you do then here in Sedgwick County? On this particular day? Yes. I broke into the house and waited for her to come home. How did you break into the house? Through the back door on the east side. All right. And you waited for her to come home? Yes, sir. Where did you wait? In the house there, probably close to the bedroom. I walked through the house and kind of figured out where I'd be if they came through. All right. What happened then? She and Kevin Bright came in. I wasn't expecting him to be there and it, and come to find out. I guess they were related. That time I approached them and told them I was wanted in California. Needed some car. Basically the same thing I told the Oteros. Kind of eased them make them feel better and proceeded to I think I had him tie I think I had him tie her up first 
and then I tied him up or vice versa. I don't remember right now at this time. Let me, let me ask. And he's like, "Mm mm-hmm. You indicated that you had some items to tie these people with. Did you bring these items, both the Oteros and to this location? The Oteros I did. I'm not really sure on the brights. (coughs) There were some I, when I had and working with the police there was some controversy on that. Probably more likely I did, but if I if I brought my own stuff and used my stuff, Kevin would probably be probably be dead today. So he had a kill kit. Yeah, he had a kill kit. And I think when they caught him, he had the kill kit in his car. Yeah, because he was driving. He was literally preparing to start again, and he knew that if he was going to do it again, it had to be soon because he was getting older. Right, and it had to be it had to be attainable. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, um, what's he say? The the court replied all right to that. And he's like, I'm not bragging on that. It's just a matter of fact. It's the bond I had to row tied him up with that he broke them so that the court's like, all right, sir. Yeah, because, because he's special. You know, Dennis Rader's special. He has special, he's, 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 you know, special. He thinks he's, you know, special. Well, I think everything, everything he does is is special. Right. I think he's saying if he had his own bonds with him, like his own equipment, the kid couldn't have gotten himself out of it. Which is not true because bonds are bonds. Right. So. Um, uh, okay. He replied, it may be the same with, same with Catherine. It was, they got it, they got out of hand. All right, now you indicated you believe you had Kevin tie Catherine up. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happened then. Okay, I moved. Well, after, I really can't remember, Judge, whether I had her tie him up or she did. He just repeated that. Whether I tied, whether I had her tie him up or she tied him up. But anyway, I moved, basically, I moved her to another bedroom and he was already secure there by the bed. Tied his feet to the bedpost, one of the bedposts, so that he couldn't run. Kind of tied her in the same bedroom and then came back to strangle him. And at that time, we had a fight. Were you armed with a handgun at that time also? Yes, I had a handgun. All right, what happened when you came back? I actually had two handguns. All right. Well, when I started strangling, the either the garrot broke or he broke his bonds, and he jumped up real quick like I pulled my gun and quickly shot him. It hit him in the head. He fell over. I could see the blood, and as far as I was concerned, he, you know, I thought he was down and he was out. And then I went and started to strangle Kath or Catherine. And then we started fighting because the bonds weren't very good, and so back and forth we fought. You and Catherine, yeah. We fought, Uh uh-huh. I got her, I got the best of her, and I thought she was going down, and then I could hear some movement in the other room. So I went back, and Kevin, no, no, I thought she was going down, and I went back into the other bedroom where Kevin was at. And I tried to re-strangle him at that time, and he jumped up, and we fought, and and he about, at the time, about shot me because he got the other pistol, and that, that was in my should here. I had my magnum in my shoulder, so, and really, a shoulder holster? Hmm. Did you have it in a shoulder holster? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. I had the Magnum in my shoulder holster. The other was a 22. All right. And we fought at that point in time, and I thought it was going to go off. I jammed the gun, stuck my finger in the in there, jammed it. And I think he thought that was the only gun I had because once I either built his finger or hit him or something got away, and I used the 22 and shot him one more time, and I thought he was down for good that time. All right, so you shot him a second time. Yes, sir. I went back to finish the job on Catherine, and she was fighting. And at that point in time, I'd been fighting her. I just, and then I heard some, I don't know whether I was loose, basically losing control. The strangulation wasn't working on her, and I used a knife on her. You say you used a knife on her. Yes, yes. What did you do with the knife? I stabbed her. She was stabbed, either stabbed two or three times, either here or here. Maybe two back here and one here, or maybe just two times back here. And you're, you're pointing to your lower back and your, yes, underneath the ribs and lower abdomen. Yes, underneath the ribs, up, up under the ribs. So after you stabbed her, what happened? Actually, I think at that point in time, well, it's a total mess because I didn't have control on it. She was bleeding. She went down. I think I just went back to check on Kevin or that basically the same time I heard him collapse. It could be one or two, but all of a sudden the front door of the house was open and he was gone. And oh, I tell you what I thought. I thought the police were coming and that time I heard the door open. I thought, you know, that's it. And I stepped out there and he, I could see him running down the street. So I quickly cleaned up everything that I could and left. <coughs> all right now, Mr. Raider, you indicated that the Otero's you did not have a mask on. Did you have a mask on at the Brights? No, no, I didn't. Uh-uh. All right, so what happened then? I tried. I had already had the keys to the cars, and I thought I had the right key to the right car. I ran out to their car, what I think it was a pickup out there, and I tried it. It didn't work, and at that point in time, I was, he was gone running down the street. I thought, well, I'm in trouble, so I tried it. Didn't work, so I just took off and ran. I went down, went east, and then worked back towards WSU campus where my car was parked. All right, so you had parked your car at the Wichita State University. Yes, sir. The campus? The campus? Uh-huh. How far away were was the Bryce residence? Oh, I parked, what was it, 13th? And there, I want to say there, I parked at the park and then walked to 13th to the Bryce residence. So I basically ran back. All right, so where were you able to get the car and get away? Yes, sir. And now we're on to the next. So, in media, TK has been portrayed several times. Um, there's a book, Confessions of a Serial Killer, based off of Catherine Ramsland's compiled, uh, just her five-year correspondence with Raider. Um, Stephen King has said his novella, A Good Marriage, and the film based on it were inspired by BTK. Um, let's see. Thomas Harris has said the character of Francis Dorla Hyde, his 1981 novel Red Dragon, is partially based on BTK. Was Red Dragon a part of the Silence of the Lambs thing? I think so. He was also... Um, his murdering spree was... Um, in episode 15, season one of Criminal Minds, and uh, yes. we know him from Mindhunter. Mindhunter, um, 
he he is sprinkled through both seasons. Right. They never come out and say. But when he puts on the mask. Well, they never come out and say that he is Dennis Rader, but all the clues point to him being Dennis Rader because he's kind of why they started looking into and developing the serial killer thing. Because at this time that he started, they were still learning and developing profiles and stuff for serial killers. And so, yeah, and it was kind of interesting because, you know, when we was watching it, I was like, is that... Yeah, we thought it was him. PTK? But they never came out. I think in the very in the second se- season the is when he starts the. Well, the, he puts on the girl mask and. He, and then the BTK thing comes out. Right, and I'm like, oh yeah, it was definitely BTK. So the. Transcripts for the murder of Shirley Vianne. I thought he would go into like more detail. He's going to keep some to himself. I mean, that's part of the fence. Yeah, I don't so, think they tell you everything. So the court. Now, let's turn court uh, count. Let's turn to count number six. In that count, they claim on March 17, 1977, in Sedgwick County, Kansas. Who unlawfully killed Shirley Vianne maliciously, willfully, deliberately, and with premeditation by strangulation inflicting injury from which she did die on March 17, 1977. Can you tell me, uh, tell me what you did on that day? BTK. Well, as before, Vianne was a actually one on that one, she was completely random. Uh, there was actually someone that uh, across from Dylan's was p- the potential target. I had a project number assigned to it, and that d- on that particular day, and I drove to Dylan's, parked in the parking lot, watched this particular residence, and then got out of the car, walked over to it. It's probably in the police report, the address. I, I don't remember the address now. I knocked. Nobody, uh, nobody answered. So I was all keyed up. So I just started going through the neighborhood. I had been uh, through the neighborhood before. I know I know of it a little bit, a little of the layout of the neighborhood. Uh, I'd been through the back alleys, knew where some certain people lived. While I was walking down um, the, the hydraulic, I met a young boy and asked him if he would ID some uh, pictures. Kind of a kind of a rust, I guess. Um, I guess a ruse, as you can call it, and kind of uh, feel it out and saw where he went. And I went to another address, knocked on the door. Nobody opened the door. So I just noticed when he went and went into the house and we went from there. Now, you call these projects or these sexual fantasies also. Potential, uh, potential hits. That is in my world. Uh, that's what I called them. All right, so you... They were called projects, hits. All right, and, and why did you have these potential hits? What was the... Was this to gratify some sexual interest? Or, yes, sir, I, I had... Well, there... I, I had a lot of them. So it's just... If you... If one didn't work, I had just moved to another. All right, so I am to understand it then that... 
on the 17th of March, 1977, you saw a little boy go into a residence. Mm-hmm. And you tried another residence. Sir? No one was there. You had tried another residence. No one was there, so you... Right, 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 yes. The court. Um, went into the residence with the little boy. Yes, and I watched. I watched where he went. Well, what happened then? After I tried this once, uh, the residence, nobody came to the door. I went to the house where he went in. I knocked on the door and told them I was a private detective, showed them a picture I had. Uh, I just showed them the boy and asked him if he could ID the picture. And at that time, I, I had a gun here, so I just forced myself in. I just, you know, walked in, just opened the door, walked in, and pulled out the pistol. What happened then? I told Miss or Mrs. Vianne that I had a problem with sexual fantasy and that I was going to have to tie her up and that I might have to uh, tie the kids up and she would have to cooperate with this and cooperate with me at the time. Um, we went back. She was extremely nervous. I think she even smoked a cigarette and we went back to one of the back areas on the porch. I explained to her that I had done this before. And you know, I think she, at that point in time, I think she was sick because she had a uh, night robe on. And I don't think I remember, right, if she, if she had been sick, I think, I think she came out of the bedroom when I got to the house. So anyway, we went back to the, her bedroom. I proceeded to tie the kids up and I started, and they started crying and got really upset. So I said, Oh, this is not gonna work. We moved him to the bathroom. She helped me, and then I tied the door shut. We put some toys and blankets and odds and ends in there for the kids to make them comfortable as we could. Um, tied the, well, we, we tied the bathroom door shut so they couldn't open it. And then we shoved and went back. She showed me the bed against, oh, she helped me shove the bed up against the bathroom door and I proceeded to tie her up. She got sick, threw up, Got her a glass of water, comforted her a little bit, and then went ahead, tied her up, put a plastic bag over her head, and strangled her. The court. All right, well, was this a plastic bag also? Yes, sir, I think it was. All right. But I could be wrong on the plastic bag. You put a bag or, well, it was something. I'm, I'm sure it was a plastic bag. Now, you say you put a bag over her head, strangled her. What did you strangle her with? I actually think, uh, I, I think on that I, I had tied, tied her legs to the bedpost and worked the rope all the way up and then what I had left over looped around her neck. All right, so you used the rope, this rope to strangle her then? Yes, yes, uh, I think, I think it was the same one that I tied her body with. <clears throat> all right, well what happened then? Well then the kids were really banging on the door and screaming and the telephone began to ring. Um, they had talked earlier to the neighbors gonna, that was going to check on them, so I cleaned everything up real quick and got out of there, left and went back to my car. And when you say you cleaned everything uh, up, well, I mean, I, I put my stuff up. I had a briefcase. Whatever I had lying around, ropes, tapes, cords, I threw in there, and, you know, whatever, you know, I thought I, I brought into the house. Um, had you brought that to the Bright residence also, or, yeah, there is... Some, there, I, I think there's some basic stuff, but I don't remember bringing total stuff like that. I did, 
to some others. Was this the kit that you had prepared? Yeah, I... So beforehand, yes, I call it my hit kit. All right, sir, you, you, you left the Vian residence. You had parked your car in a, near, uh, in a vehicle nearby. Yes, same parking lot there at Dillon's. All right. Um, at, I think it says hydraulic, or I think it means, I don't know what they mean. Uh, the, at hydraulic, and, and that's, what is that? Harry Lincoln Lincoln yes Lincoln and Lincoln and hydraulic it's very hard to try to read and follow what they're trying to say I know I know so then they move on to the murder of Nancy Fox so this is the court all right in count seven it is claimed that on the eighth day of December 1977 Sedgwick County Kansas that you unlawfully killed a human being being Nancy Fox, maliciously, willfully, deliberately, with premeditation, by strangulation, inflicting injuries from which that said Nancy Fox did die on December 8, 1977. Can you tell me what you did on that day in Sedgwick County? I think what they're doing is they're satisfying every count because that wording is the same. So it's got to meet all of those things. Well, and yeah, and it's each count, like each person is a different count to get up to your 10 counts of murder. Right. So this is him. Uh, Nancy Fox was another one of the projects. When I was trolling the area, I noticed her go into the house one night. Sometimes I would, and, and anyway, I put her down as a potential victim. Let me ask you one thing, Mr. Raider. You've used that term when you're patrolling the area. What do you mean by that? It's called stalking or trolling. So you're not, you were not working in any form or fashion. You were just... Well, I don't think if, well, I don't know. I mean, if you, if you know, if you read much about serial killers, they go through what they call different phases. Uh, there's one f uh, phase they go through, it's called as like a trolling stage. Your lay, basically you're, you're looking for a, for a victim at that time. And that can either be trolling for months, years, but once you lock onto a certain person, then it becomes stalking. And that might be several of them. And, but you really hone in on one person. They basically come the, that's the victim, or at least that's what you want, want them to be. Miss Folston, excuse me, Your Honor, I think she said trolling with a T, not patrolling. He did say trolling with a T. I thought he said patrolling. Oh, okay. All right, sir. No, no, I wasn't working, sir. All right. No. This was, no, this was off, like off, off my hours. All right, you basically identified Nancy Fox as one of your projects. What happened then? Uh, at first she was spotted. Then I did a little homework. I dropped by once to check the mailbox to see what her uh, name was. Found out she worked, stopped by there once at um, the Heisberg kind and uh, at Heisberg kind of sized her up. Um, I had the, the more I know about a person, the the more I feel comfortable. Then that's what we're concerned with is his comfort. Right, because that matters. Right. So I, I did a couple times, and I just selected a night, uh, which was this particular night, to try and, and work it out. All right, can you tell me what you did on the night of December 8, 1977? About two or three blocks away, I parked my car, walked to the residence, I knocked at the door. I knocked at the door first to make sure see if anybody was there because I knew she arrived home at a particular time from where she worked. 
Nobody answered the door, so I went around to the back of the house, cut the phone lines. I could tell there, was, uh, there wasn't anybody in the north apartment. Uh, I broke in, waited for her to come home. I was waiting in the kitchen. All right, did she come home? Yes, she did. What happened? I confronted her and told her there I, was, uh, I had a problem, sexual problem, and I needed to tie her up and have sex with her. Mm-hmm. She was a little upset. We talked for a while. She smoked a cigarette. While, the, well, while we smoked a cigarette, I went through her purse, identifying some of the stuff she finally said, well, let's get this over with so I can uh, go call the police. I said, yes. Uh, she went to the bathroom, came. I told her that when she came out to make sure she was undressed, and when she came out, I handcuffed her, and then I don't remember whether I... The court. You handcuffed her, sir? You handcuffed her with a pair of handcuffs. Yes, sir. What happened then? Well, I had her... I, I handcuffed her... Um, had her lay on the bed, then I tied her feet. Um, I was also undressed to a certain degree. I got on top of her, then reached over, took either of her feet that were tied or not tied by any way, and I took, I think, a belt. I took the belt and then strangled her with the belt at that time. All right, all right, after you strangled her, what happened then? After I strangled her with the belt, I then took the belt off, retied, that with pantyhose real tight, removed the handcuffs, and tied those with pantyhose. Um, can't remember the colors right now. I think it may maybe retied her feet. If it hadn't already, um, they were probably already tied and her feet was at that time. Um, the feet were already tied at that time and then I masturbated. All right, you, you had sexual relations with her? No. Before? No, no. I told her I was, but I did not. All right, so you masturbated, then what did you do? I dressed, went through the house, took some personal items, kind of cleaned up, and checked everything, and then I left. All right, Ms. Folston, uh, your honor, for the record, the address? He established it was Sedgwick County. Um, I don't need an exact address. Oh, the Fox, uh, nice, um, 913 or 903. I was, I, I'm not sure, I, I know it was on Pershing, South Pershing, um, here in Wichita. Um, the address, as I said, I don't, isn't really what's important. Yes. So then move on to the next one, which is marrying Hedge. With that one, though, that's the first time in the transcripts he's admitted to masturbating. True. With the other ones, he didn't say that. Um, so, I won't go through the trouble of reading the whole count. Um, but the judge asked what happened that day. Of course, like he did with the other ones. Dennis says, well, actually, kind of like the others, she was chosen. I went through the different phases of stalking. And since she lived down the street from me, I could watch the coming and going easily. On that particular date... I had had a, another commitment. I came back from that commitment, parked my car over at Woodlawn in 21st. Um, there was a bowling alley there. Before that, I dressed in, uh, I had gotten dressed. I had some other clothes I changed into. I went to the bowling alley, went there under the pretense of bowling, called a taxi, had a taxi, taxi take me out to Park City, had my kit with me. It was in a bowling bag. All right. 
now as Park City in Sedgwick County, Kansas? Yes, sir. All right, you had a taxi take you to Park City. What happened then? There I asked, well, I, I pretended that I was a little drunk. I just took some beer and washed it around my mouth. Um, and the guy could probably smell alcohol on me. I told him to let me out so I could get some fresh air and I walked from where the taxi let me off over to her house. All right, well, where does she live? 62, what is it, 427. All right, well, what was the North Independence? Uh, okay, okay, so when you walked over there, what happened? Well, as before, <clears throat> I was going to have sexual fantasies, so I brought my head kit, and lo and behold, there was a car there. I thought, gee, she's not supposed to be home. So I carefully snuck into the house. She wasn't there. So about the time the door rattled, so I went to the back of the bedrooms and I hid back there in one of the bedrooms. She came in with a male visitor. There were, they were there for maybe an hour or so, then he left. I waited till the wee hours of the morning, then I proceeded to sneak out of her bedroom, flip the lights on real quick, or I think the bathroom lights. I just, I, I didn't want to flip her lights on so, and she screamed, and I jumped on the bed and strangled her manually. All right. Now, were you wearing any kind of disguise or mask at that time? No. You indicated this woman lived down the street from you. Did she know you? Casually, we'd walk by and wave. Um, she liked to work in her yard as well. I liked to work. Um, just a neighborly type thing. It wasn't anything personal. I mean, just, just a neighbor. All right, so she was in her bed. You turned on the light in the bathroom. You have a bathroom light uh, just so I could get some light in there. All right, well, what did you do then? I manually strangled her, and she started to scream. So did you use your hands? Yes, sir. And you strangled her, and she died? Yes. All right, well, what did you do then? After that, I was in this... Uh, after that, since I was in the sexual fantasy, I went ahead and stripped her, probably went ahead, and I'm not sure if I tied her up at that point or not, but maybe. Um, she was nude. I put, a, uh, I put her on a blanket went through a purse, some personal items in the house. I figured out how I was going to get her out of there. Eventually, I moved her to the trunk of the car, took the car over to the church. That's the Christ Lutheran Church. This is with the older church and took some pictures of her. All right, you took some photographs of her. What kind of camera did, did you use? A Polaroid. All right, did you keep the photographs? Yes, the police probably have them. All right, all right, well, what happened then? That was it. I went, I took, she went through, I tied, she already dead, so I took pictures of her in different forms of bondage, and that probably got me in trouble is the bondage thing, so anyway, that's probably the main thing, but anyway, I, I after I moved her back out of the car, we went east on 53rd. All right, what occurred then, sir? What happened then? Oh, trying to find a place to hide her body, duh. Right? Uh, <laughs> did you find a place? Yes, yes, I did. Where? He didn't answer. Where? Couldn't you tell... Couldn't tell you without looking in a map. But it was on 53rd between Greenwich, maybe, and what's the other street? Rock? Greenwich and Rock? Um, someone also named Miss Osborne said Webb. So, I think Miss Osborne is his deter is his attorney. Webb, between I think, between 
Webb and Greenwich. I found a ditch, a little place on the north side of the road, and I hit her there. All right, you say you hit her there. Did you, well, there was some, there was some trees, some brush, and I laid the body, uh, laid over top of the body. All right, so you removed the body from the car, put her in a ditch, and then laid some brush over the body. Yes, sir. So, this is the transcript for Dolores Davis. Um, again, I'm not going to read the full charge, but um, he does ask what happened that day. On that particular day, I had commitments. I left those, went to one place, changed my clothes, went to another place, parked my car, finally made arrangements on my hit kit, my clothes, and then walked to the residence after spending some time at the residence. <clears throat> it was very cold that night. I had reservations about going in because I, I had cased the place before, and I really couldn't figure out how to get in. She was, um, and she was in the house, so I finally just selected a concrete block and threw it through the plate glass window on the east and came in. Boy, oh boy, not much for being sneaky. Well, I mean, he really wanted in that house. Yes. Um, all right, well, where is this residence located? It's on a hillside, but I couldn't give the address. I know it's probably 61 or 62 or something. I don't know. North or south? North, north hillside. All right, so you use a concrete block to break a window. Mm -hmm. Plate glass window, patio door. All right, what happened then? Well, it made a noise, of course. Um, I just went in, she came in out of the bedroom and thought a car had hit her house. And I told her I was, I used a, the ruse of being wanted. I was on the run, I needed food, car, warmth, warm up, and I asked her um, I handcuffed her and kind of talked to her. I told her that I'd like to get some food, get her keys to her car, uh, get some rest assured, you know, walked, talked with her a little bit, calmed her down a little bit, and then eventually I checked. I think she was still handcuffed. I went back and checked out where the car was, simulated getting some food, odds and ends in the kitchen, and I was leaving. When I went back, I removed her handcuffs and then tied her up, and then I eventually strangled her. All right, you say, you say you eventually strangled her. Well, after I tied her up, I went through some things in the room, and then I strangled her. All right, so you went through, what were you, were you looking for something in particular? Yeah, some personal items. I, I took personal items from there. Do, did you take personal items uh, in every one of the incidents? I did, on the hedge. I don't remember anything from Vicky's place, the Oteros. I got the watch and the radio. I don't think I did any at, and Bright's, uh, Vianne's, no, I don't think so. Fox, yes, I took some things from Fox. It was hit or miss. All right, but in regard, probably, if it, if it was a controlled situation where I had more time, I took something, but if not, it was, uh, if it was a confusion or other things, I, I, I didn't because I was just trying to get out of there. All right, so in regards to the Davis murder, you went around the room, you took a few personal things. What did you do then? I strangled her. What did you strangle her with? Pantyhose. All right, what happened then? Uh, did she die? Kind of like Miss Hedges, I already figured out my, I had a you know, plan on leaving and putting her in a blanket, um, drug her to the car, put her in the trunk. So you were able to strangle her with the pantyhose? Yes, sir. All right, you put her in the car, in the car or in a car, her car, her car or trunk. Um, the trunk of her car. What happened then? Um, 
I really had a commitment I needed to go to, so I moved her to one spot, took her out of the car. This gets complicated. Then the stuff I had, clothes, gun, or whatever, I took that to another spot in her car, dumped that off. Okay, then I took her car back to her house, left that. Let me think now. In the interim, I took her car back to the house, and in the interim, I realized that I had lost my guns. So I, I dropped it, I must have dropped it somewhere. So I was distraught trying to figure out where my gun was, so I went back to the house, realized I dropped it um, when I went in. When I, when I broke the plate glass window, it dropped, it fell on the floor right there, I found it right there, so that solved that problem. Anyway, I went back out, threw the keys, uh, checked the car real quick, quick like, and threw the keys up on top of the roof of her house, walked from her car to my car, took my car, drove it back, and I either dropped off more stuff, or I picked up and put them in my car, and then I drove northeast on Sed uh, of Sedgwick County and dropped her off underneath a bridge. All right, so all of those incidences, these 10 counts occurred because you wanted to satisfy sexual fantasy. Is that correct? Yes. Does the party desire any further matters to be put on the record at this time? No. All right, you may be seated. Jesus Christ. On a cracker. What the fuck? Wow. Okay. He just explains it. Like, it's nothing. Well, I think at some points, though, he is reserved. Like, I don't really want to talk about this because, you know, I'm BTK. and I, I mean, to look at him, you wouldn't think he is, like, this horrible monster serial killer, but... He's a piece of shit. Jesus Christ. Oh, that's depressing enough. So, we got a contest happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's on our Twitter. Um, it's for whoever has the best um, suggestions. Really, you give us the three of our podcasts that you like the most, and then you give us three suggestions, and whoever wins will get a free plushie from our Etsy store called Fairy Tavern. You'll get a free um, warm plush, a medium warm plush, a medium. Mothman, a Bigfoot, or a Nightcrawler. It's your choice. Um, we're maybe running it either. I have, we haven't decided if we're stopping it at the end of this month or the middle of next month. Um, that's still up in the air. Uh, but whoever wins will be notified on Twitter and they'll get credit for the, the... If we pick one of their suggestions, whichever one we do, we might do one, we might do all three, but they'll get credit for those suggestions. Uh, and then um, we'll notify them on Twitter that they won. Right. I think it's going to be all for this evening. So come back and join us again. And we'll see you next time. Bye.